Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, today is the last day to help us stop WDET's spring fundraiser from interrupting the programming you love, shows like Detroit Today. Your gift right now will help raise the necessary funding for more of the thoughtful conversations and news that you trust here at WDET. And as I said, your gift will help minimize program interruptions. So use your power and join Team DET with your gift now at WDET.org. And as always, Thanks very much for the support. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about Michigan Central Station. In the news again, this time in a positive light, the Ford Motor Company says they might be interested in buying that huge structure that haunts a part of southwest Detroit. has been empty for 30 years. Ford might want to make use of that and uh, talk about symbolism, talk about a huge step forward just in the minds of folks here in Detroit uh, that would represent if that happens. We're going to talk with Chad Livengood of Crane's Detroit Business about it and Eric Kehoe, who's the board president for Preservation Detroit, which has worked really hard to make sure that we don't tear down buildings like Michigan Central Station. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. It'll happen at about 45 past the hour. But first, a series of bombings rocked Austin, Texas over the past week or so. And now the key suspect is dead. A 24-year-old white male reportedly blew himself up in his car as police approached him in a parking lot early this morning. It's another alarming development in what has been a terrifying series of events. And here to give us a sense of what this has felt like over the past few weeks is Ben Philpot, a senior editor at KUT, the public radio station in Austin. Ben, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Hi. So uh, first, let's start with you giving us an idea of how people in Austin are reacting, how they're feeling now that this appears at least to be over. Yeah, I think there's a a good sense of relief across the city today. Um, You know, there has been a lot of, uh, not a lot, there have been a couple of national news stories, you know, focusing in on Austin, a town panicking, uh, people, you know, excessively worried about what's going on. And I I would push back against that a little bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. People were living their lives. They were doing what they needed to do, but were, you know, it was always in the back of your mind. You need to watch out and make sure you don't see a weird box or a weird backpack or something lying around. But uh, even with that, I think, yeah, today's a, a day for everyone to kind of take a deep breath and, and hope that this was the only person uh, and hope that there were not additional packages um, either placed out or sent through the mail before uh, police closed in on this guy. Yeah. Um, so I, I lived uh, through the Washington, D.C. sniper attacks, mm. uh, and I can remember just how on edge uh, people were when John Allen Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo were were posting up in in the trunk of their car and and just taking random shots uh, at people. How how disruptive how how disruptive has this been in Austin? Uh, is this similar to something like that? I mean, that went on for a very long time, uh, disrupted for months. Is is my memory? Uh, this was a shorter period of time, but again, the randomness of this. Uh, yeah. is one of the things that, that I think makes people react a little differently. Yeah, you know, this was a, a kind of, well, not that a serial bomber is ever not weird, but this was kind of a weird uh, 
weird timeline in that for the first three bombs, you know, these were placed on doorsteps, people's homes. Uh And that very much made it seem like uh, people were being targeted. And so there was a lot of, uh, you know, part of the police investigation was trying to figure out, you know, what's the connection between these three people and the public, public in general could, you know, think, well, these are... These are specifically targeted people. Um, uh, It's not a random act. It might have been personal, I guess. Yeah, it could have been personal. It it wasn't a random act. Therefore, you know, you feel you feel a little safer when you don't feel like it's it's random, totally random, like like the D.C. sniper was. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we had the last two bombs to go off that that were random. Well, at least they were. One of them was, uh, uh, you know, being put through FedEx, being put through the mail. That wasn't necessarily random. It was going to a specific place. So it was a second uh, package that had been mailed by the bomber. Um, but again, the idea that all of a sudden it could be a FedEx package and not a uh, a random box mm-hmm. put on your on your doorstep that freaked people out. And and then of course the um, the one that was in the neighborhood uh, that uh, was triggered by police believe a trip wire. Uh, it was just, you know, uh, assumed <laughs> we assume it was just randomly placed in a neighborhood and two people who happened to be walking by were the victims. They were both injured, did not uh, uh, survive. Um, so, you know, that randomness I think did up the level of, of concern in the city. Um, but, but again, it was, you know, it was a city that was still going on with its daily things. Um, you know, the biggest disruption, again, was that neighborhood bomb that mm-hmm. was set off by the tripwire. Uh, that neighborhood was essentially locked down by police for, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, 12, 18 hours or so um, until the uh, until the police were able to, you know, get sunlight on the neighborhood and, and really make sure that there weren't any other packages left around. Yeah. Um, what are authorities able to tell us at this point? I know it's very early uh, in the in the post, I guess, investigation. But are are they saying much about who this person was, uh, and and uh, what they suspect might be the reason that this was happening? Uh, they are not. Authorities are not. And, and by authorities, I mean again the Austin Police Department, FBI, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearm. Um, our governor, Greg Abbott, was on uh, Fox News this morning and uh, talked a little freer uh, than I think the FBI uh, uh-huh. has, definitely more freely than the FBI has been. Um, he gave some additional information in uh, saying that this was a person who um, had two roommates. This, was, this person was not uh, ex-military, and this person did not have a job. Um, uh, you know, now uh, I, I we have not been able to confirm any of that, but it is coming from the governor of the state of Texas. So, um, you know, yeah. we we will we will report that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Ben Philpot. He's a senior editor at KUT Public Radio in Austin, Texas. We are talking about the recent series of bombings that have rocked that city. Uh, This morning, a 24-year-old white male reportedly blew himself up in his car as police approached him in a parking lot. Uh, He was the suspect, apparently, in this uh, series of bombings. We're talking about the kind of terror that comes out of 
seemingly random violence like this. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk a little more about the racial dimensions here uh, with a professor from University of Texas who has studied uh, the history of racial violence and bombings of this sort. Um, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What have you thought about what has been going on in Austin? Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the idea of the potential racial dimensions here? What do you think of the connection to the narrative that's unfolded in this country about how we deal with one another, how we deal with disagreement? Uh, this conversation about civility and incivility that I think has intensified over the last few years. If you want to join the conversation, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, ben, I want to ask you about the element of race here. It's been mm -hmm. discussed uh, nationally somewhat. What, what has that looked like on the ground there in, in Austin? Well, those first three bombs, the ones that were left on doorsteps um, here in Austin, were all placed at homes where uh, that were owned by people of color. Um, the the two uh, murders that we have from this bomber uh, were both uh, African American, um, and uh, you know, for for the time when we just had those first three bombs, it was very much a conversation of, is this. Is this targeting minorities? Is this targeting people of color? Is this, um, is this a hate group or a you know somebody of that ilk that is that is doing this? Um, and that you know that bubbles up just all kinds of history of um, you know some minority communities feeling that police are not doing enough. Uh, I mean, you can go back to uh, there was a recent podcast out on. Um, the Atlanta child murders. And of course, one of the big narratives there in that mm -hmm. whole story is that the, the, the African-American community in Atlanta felt like the police were not taking them seriously, that kids were missing and coming and, and being found dead. Um, uh, you know, we obviously were not, we didn't have that tragic of an incident here, but, uh, but there was talk and concern that, that, you know, are things moving as quickly as they should? Um, now, of course, we got away from that a bit as it uh, as it appeared that um, that the acts were becoming a little more random, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and not just people of color were being injured uh, in this. Uh, but it it was definitely uh, it definitely brought up a lot of stuff. Um, and actually, our station is hoping within the next. A week and a half to to have a community um, event uh, and have a community discussion about mm. you know those feelings that have come up, and put this then in the context of race relations in Austin more generally. I mean, it, mm -hmm. obviously, it's an American city, which means that 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 race plays a role in in the way people. Uh, deal and relate to each other. But but give us a sense of what race relations look like more generally in Austin. Austin is, uh, I believe the, cr the correct statistic is that it is the largest city in the United States that is losing its African-American population. Hmm. Um, it is a city that, that is, uh, uh, that still has a, you know, I mean, it's Texas. It still has a, a, a pretty good sized, uh, Hispanic population. Um, 
It has been a city that traditionally has been divided by I-35, which kind of runs right through the city. The east side is where um, the people of color lived, and the west side is where uh, the whites lived. Um, and now, as the city has been booming over the last uh, you know, couple of decades, it is a city where uh, gentrification is happening in East Austin, where homes had been cheaper uh, and land had been cheaper, and now those, that, those plots of land are, are uh, so expensive that traditional communities that have lived in those neighborhoods are you know, not able to pay the, the taxes on it or, or are deciding to leave because you know, taking the money on, on the land is, is worth you know, leaving the area. Yeah. Uh, so that is kind of the, the current state, one of the many uh, you know, multi-layered thing, but one of the many states of, of race relations in Austin is, is the idea of gentrification and can the traditional communities that have lived in uh, East Austin um, uh, survive? Can they, can they not be pushed out? And, and these bombings uh, that, that happened uh, to African-Americans in, in Austin, were they, were they on this east side of, of town or were they in other places? Yeah, the first three bombs were all in in East Austin. Two of them, um, uh, this may not matter for your listeners in Detroit, two of them were north of the river uh, in East Austin, which is um, traditionally uh, where uh, like the, the black community lived uh, and based on uh, zoning ordinances from, you know, 100 years ago uh, were kind of forced to live. Uh, one of them was in Southeast Austin, uh, which is... Uh, uh, a more heavily Hispanic area uh, in general. Uh, you know, I don't have the data in front of me, right. um, but uh, uh, and the the two people in in northeast uh, part of Austin were African American. The one that that died, the one that was injured in oh, and there was also another one injured in northeast Austin. The one that was injured in southeast Austin was uh, was a Hispanic woman. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Emily in Detroit. Emily, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. Hi. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to um, make a comment about what I'm not seeing happening in the conversation around the bombings in Austin. I'm from Austin, and I just moved to Detroit recently, um, and I, I lived on the southeast side of, of Austin. Um, but, you know, I think that when we see these kinds of violences happening um, in terms of bombings or shootings, if the perpetrator is a person of color, it's often that person's called a terrorist or labeled as such in the media, and when sure. the person is white, they're not. And I'm just wondering... Um, if we can shift that, if, you know, this was an act of terror, um, my community is terrorized. And um, that's just something that I'm seeing that's missing. Right. Emily, uh, thanks very much for the call and, and for injecting that into the into the conversation. Uh, great question, Ben Philpot. Are yeah. authorities describing this as terrorism? And I know that's a, that's a word that we have a lot of debate about, you know, what fits into that category and what doesn't, and motives sometimes uh, gets uh, gets into the mix, but but what are authorities in Austin saying about this person? Are they calling him a terrorist? They're not. Um, I, I I think that 
you know, I don't, I'm not going to speak for the police in terms of why they are not calling it a terrorist. I, I think one thing to remember is that um, we had no idea the color of the bomber until this morning. Until today, so, right. yeah, so the fact that, um, the fact that this person uh, was or was not labeled a terrorist by authorities up until this morning, um, you know, the, that race did not play a, a, could not, I guess, have played a role because we had no facts as to the race of the person doing this. Um, I know that, you know, we've had that discussion in the newsroom about, you know, when do we decide to label something right. uh, a terrorist attack? And, you know, as you kind of, as you alluded to, there are different definitions. I think we've kind of stuck to the idea of a uh, an act for political reasons. And again, until we get a manifesto from uh, this person, uh, we don't know their political reasons. Um, uh, if if the bombs appeared to be targeted as they did for the first couple, um, you know, is that terrorism? Is it an, is it an assassination? It, it it all does kind of bleed together. And yes, the the community was um, was scared sure. uh, and was nervous about what was going on. Um, um, but I don't. But that's that's just a hard. I don't know. That's a, yeah. that's a very interesting idea. Well, of, and, of when do we then label that terrorism? And one of the other difficulties I think we have in that conversation is the idea of political motive. If you are uh, doing something with a racial motive, does that make it political in the sense that uh, right, authorities yes. would consider it terrorism? I think uh, most most people. When they think about it, think, well, yeah, if you're doing something uh, with a racial motive, violence with a racial motive, that would equate with 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 terrorism. But I know that that the FBI deals with it differently. And I would imagine local authorities uh, have other things and, and, to think about, too. Yeah, go ahead. And again, as as we find out more about this bomber, you know, we may find out that this was, uh, you know, while while they did set a, a bomb that injured um you know, uh, uh, a couple of uh, white young men in Southwest Austin, um, uh, that that they absolutely could have been targeting a specific race or a specific part of town, um, and and then the definition could change. But you know, um, I think that uh, responsible journalism uh, is is reporting what we know at the time sure. and not trying to lead the conversation. Right. So. Okay, Ben Philpot, senior editor at KUT Public Radio in Austin. Thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you, sir. Up next, we're going to continue the conversation about bombings in Austin, and we want to hear from you still. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tom in Northwest Detroit. Hang in there. We will get to you. Also, don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out entirely. You can download the Detroit Today podcast at iTunes or wherever it is you get a podcast you can take us with you and listen when you are ready we'll be right back on detroit today You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. When we talk about the intersection of race and bombings in the southern United States, 
it's hard not to think back to more than 50 years ago when the church bombing in Alabama killed four little girls or to the bombing campaigns of the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan in Mississippi. There's something particularly startling and terrifying about bombings. Think about their brutality and their randomness. And when you mix that with the targeting of specific groups, it really paralyzes people with fear. Where can or should someone go safely? What can you touch? Where can you walk or drive? Those are all the kinds of questions that get intensified in people's minds when campaigns like this unfold. I want to welcome Kristen Smith, a professor of anthropology and African diaspora studies at the University of Texas, to the show to talk more about the connection between racism and this sort of violence. Her work focuses on the history of anti-black violence in the Americas and in Brazil. She recently co-authored a piece in the Huffington Post that was titled, Package Bombings Reveal the Racist Underbelly of Austin. Kristen Smith, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me on. So let's let's talk about first the context of what is happening right now in Austin and, of course, the news this morning that the person who uh, was was at least suspected of doing this, this 24-year-old white male, uh, is dead after at his own hands after being apprehended by the police. Put this in the sort of context of this larger issue that you wrote about in the Huff Post. Well, I think that, first of all, um, it's important to note that my colleague Dinah Berry and I wrote that piece primarily because we were wanting to share with everyone how our community was feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I think that sometimes, uh, since the piece has been was written, people kind of assumed that we were saying that this is exactly what was going on. And I don't think that that's what we were saying at all. Mm -hmm. What we were basically saying is this is something that is tapping into an unresolved, deep issue in our community, and we need to address this. Um, and so, in essence, the first three bombings um, that happened from March 2nd um, and then on March 16th, uh, they all happened on the east side of Austin. And the east side of Austin has traditionally been the black and Latino community here in the city. Yeah. Um, and that has been no accident, right? And so tomorrow is the 90th anniversary of Austin's master plan that happened in 1928. And that was a plan that was literally orchestrated by the city um, in order to segregate the city and force the black population into East Austin. Um, that also led to most Mexican-Americans, who are also working class and people of color, being forced to segregate into East Austin as well. And so traditionally and historically, the north part of East Austin has been black, and the southern part of East Austin has been Latino. And those are the three communities that were affected by the first two bombs. And, and, and yeah, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go keep going. No, I was going to, and what, what I wanted to say was, and, and I think that, that was very striking for a community where 6% of us are black and 35% of us are Latino, but they, they, that's that history. Right. And so it, it was visceral for our, for our community, and everyone was scared, and everyone was concerned as to why are these things happening to the most vulnerable part of Austin. One of the interesting things about what you're saying is that it, <clears throat> that it sort of divorces 
the 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 immediate actions from from necessary motive. In other words, let's say this was not a young white male who was doing this. Let's say it was somebody else. Mm-hmm. It, the, the fact that it's happening and the history that surrounds race and racial relations in the city is what frames people's response. And so, uh, I mean, and I think that's one of the really important things and dynamics to discuss when you're talking about race uh, and race relations is what's happening uh, at, at this instant is sometimes not uh, not the reason or the full reason that things unfold the way they do. As you point out, the community there, the African-American community, uh, was feeling as though it was under under attack, it sounds like, and, and that may or may not have been the motive of the person who was doing it. It's the history of that community being under attack that drives that feeling. Exactly. I think that's absolutely the case. And, you know, when you're a community that is has been in rapid decline since 2010, we've lost almost half of our population over the past 20 years and from, from about 12% to about 6%. And a community that is struck by intense gentrification with the rapid growth of Austin, a community that is economically um, on the margins of the city, it, Black, black and Latino residents tend to be um, working class, particularly black residents, a community that feels already very pushed out. And for this to happen, and for this to happen to, to two families that are so, that are so dear to our community, mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it really felt like, like it was, it was a siege. And, and the fact of the matter is the reason, the feelings behind that, the, the sentiment that many people were feeling in the city because of that is not necessarily because of the bomber. Yes. It, it's not about whether or not he was targeting the black community. The question is, why is it that we feel this way? Why do we feel this way? Why is it that black, that black people in America feel differently about bombings than white people in America tend to? And part of that is because of the history here in the United States. And I think that that's something that we have to pay attention to. And also the history here in Austin that people tend to not understand and tend to not know. Most Austinites don't even know about the 1928 master plan. And so it's a part of our history. It's a part of our reality that it very much haunts our city. And I think that, you know, when we refuse to talk about it, when we, when we, when we have these kind of visceral reactions and say, well, it couldn't have been about race because he didn't say it was about race, or it couldn't have been about race because, you know, it's only about race when somebody is, is declared to be a white supremacist right. and puts on a hood on and purpose. burns a cross exactly. on your lawn. Right. But what about the, the structural racism that facilitates these moments? What about that? What about the structural racism that allows somebody to have a package bomb put on their front door, be blown up, and no one pay close attention for two weeks and accuse that person? And and basically in the beginning, what the police were saying, and since then I want to be clear that our current police chief, our interim police chief Manley, he has apologized for this, but in the initial part, they they assumed that Anthony Stephen House Stephen House was killed in a drug related incident. Huh. I see. I, I mean, I'm not in Austin, and so I didn't I didn't know that uh, that that was the that was the original reaction. assumption, and part of the reason why that particular case 
was not followed up on as diligently, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to be too critical here because I know everyone's trying their best. And as I said, Police Chief Manley, he has apologized. But one of the things that he apologized, one of the reasons why he apologized for that was because that assumption was made, and it wasn't until Draylon Mason was killed that they started to realize oh, that something yeah. was was happening. Yeah, yeah yet that another right, yet another uh, wrinkle of inequality that that sort of unfolds uh, when when things like this happen. Uh, you're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Kristen Smith. She's a professor of anthropology and of African diaspora studies at the University of Texas. She's got an expertise in violence in America, black liberation, and resistance movements. She recently co-authored an article in Huffington Post called Bombings Reveal, Racist Underbelly of Austin. We're talking about the series of bombings that have unfolded in Austin over the past couple of weeks. Uh, this morning, a 24-year-old white male uh, killed himself after he was apprehended by the police, and he is the suspect in those bombings. We're talking about how these bombings fit into the history of racial violence in America, how they fit into the history of bombings as a means of racial violence here in America. Again, uh, as always on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. AK on Twitter says, in the age of 24-7 news and social media discussion, it's reasonable to imagine that a serial bomber is glued to the coverage and intentionally breaks his own pattern to throw out red herrings. So it could be racial terrorism plus attempts to throw law enforcement off. Really interesting uh, possibility and observation there, AK. Uh, let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Yeah, good morning to both of you. Go you ahead, know Tom. what, uh, to deal with just this whole racial atmosphere what, what we're experiencing today, I mean, number 45, meaning Donald Trump, he has given people a blank check to go carte blanche and be as racist and as nasty to, you know, people who don't look like them as they want to be. Because, I mean, his whole campaign was based on, you know, racism, you know, fear and the sure. whole nine yards. And, you know, I would just be so glad when he is removed from office because, I mean, the credibility in terms of the status at the United States had in the world. I mean, it's flush. Yeah, Tom, okay. Tom, thanks very much right. uh, for that call. Uh, Kristen Smith, uh, I think that immediate context, uh, and, and I talked in the previous segment about the way in which racial animus has intensified in the last few years. And when I say intensified, I guess I don't mean that it's worse uh, so much as that it's more more out front, more public, that, that there is a, a more uh, brazen, I guess, uh, pushback to the idea of equality than we had uh, seen in, in a, lot of, uh, a, a lot of time. Uh, the idea that it's connected to Donald Trump, I guess, is probably not the, this is probably not the first time someone has said that to you. But I, but I want to get your, your take on, on the president's role here and uh, that the role of his campaign of the things that have come after he was elected president in in maybe stoking some of these kinds of reactions. 
I mean, without a doubt, the climate, the tone of the country has taken a a much different turn um, since President Trump came into office. And I think that in general, uh, you know, I've seen and and many people have commented about this around the country. I've I've seen personally the ways that people are more brazen in um, showing their racism. And and I think a lot of that has to do with the with the tone that's being set from the White House, to be quite frank with you. And I think that that's disturbing. I think that it's upsetting that we are now in a situation where uh, our our leader and our government is basically without words showing the world that it is okay to act in a, in a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say things about people that are stereotypical, that are racist, that are negative. And, and that, without a doubt, is fomenting a kind of, a kind of bold, emboldened racism and, and, and brashness among the citizenry. And I think that that's something that we really need to try to to reckon with. I think that, you know, the most recent comments, not the most recent, but the the comments that the president made about African countries and about Haiti, that hit very home for for many people in the black community because we understood what the under what what the subliminal message what was he's really saying we sure. understood what he meant it it was that you know we don't want any more black people in this country and that that hurts that hurts and it's the kind of thing that kids in schools are repeating it's the kind of things that people are starting to to think it's okay to say and and that's the kind of that's the kind of climate that can only create tension and only create fear and tension and fear is exactly what we don't need right now sure uh, let's go to zoo in Detroit sue welcome to Detroit today thank you and thank you for um, having such a distinguished guest miss Smith mm-hmm. I appreciate you thank being you. here thank you um Sure. Um, I want to say that the issue at hand is more is, is more or less about um, attacks on a less um, less white socioeconomic uh, population of people. And based on that, I want to ask a question. Mm-hmm. What distinguishes a uh, the attack? from being terrorist-related, domestic terror, such as Timothy McVeigh, who attacked a government facility, versus um, being any alternative type of attack, non-terroristic type of attack. What are the distinguishing characteristics that we know, and how, is, how, is, how would it be handled if it were labeled, and if this individual were labeled a terrorist? Um, would and that make a difference, right? Yeah. Would it would it make a difference? And if so, why? And who's um at, at whose hand would that happen? Right. You know what I mean? Who, Zoo, who, who's who's Zoo, the yeah? That's a great that's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you called uh, and asked. And and Kristen Smith, I uh, also uh, before you answer it, want to want to say that this is, uh, you know, this is a debate we've had for a long time in this country. Uh, people like Sam Bowers. Uh, in Mississippi, was he a terrorist uh, because of the things that he did, bombing 
churches and synagogues uh, and things like that. And and there is there is a history here that I want you to to, to get at as well about how we define our terms uh, when we talk about this kind of violence, when we talk about racial violence. Absolutely. I mean, I think that first and foremost, the the definition that has been used by law enforcement is the definition that tends to come from the Patriot Act um, that Mm -hmm. basically says that terrorism has to be linked to an explicit threat on a government, um, an explicit explicit political threat on a government. Um, I... I am of the mindset that, and and I think that there are there are other people who share, um, lots of other people who share my perspective on things. I'm of the mindset that that definition doesn't quite allow us to explain certain kinds of violent acts like the ones that we just saw in mm-hmm. Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we think about terrorism as inflicting terror on a community as random acts of violence or as targeted acts of violence that that seize and 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 threaten a community in mass then we have a different perspective on what terrorism looks like and i think for the most part we as citizens when we think about terrorism that's the definition that we have it's not the patriot act definition and i think that that's something that it's important for us to really think about because part of the frustration that people tend to have particularly black people in the united states part of the frustration that we've tended to have is that when when these acts of violence happen in our communities we're told they're not terrorism right and yet they feel like terrorism to us they are targeted to us because of who we are, because of how vulnerable vulnerable we are, because of our history. And so in many ways, how is that not political, right? right? But because we are not a government, then they're not defined, in, defined as terrorism in that way. And so that, that really kind of strikes that your question is a really great one because it really kind of strikes at the heart of the very tensions that we were trying to get at in our article. In your piece, sure. Exactly. Because part of the, and, and part of the reason why we use the, the phrase racial terrorism is because we wanted to be able to distinguish it from that legal definition of terrorism in the United States that the FBI uses. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be able to talk about the history of how racism and terrorism have come together in this country and targeted populations in ways that are political in the sense that they are they are they're couched within the context of the United States history of racist politics. Sure, and they and, are meant to achieve a political aim, which is the continued inequality uh, that 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 we see here in the United States. Uh, absolutely. And can I I just want to say one one sure. quick thing and they also are meant to tap into the fact that African Americans have historically not been afforded the same protections under the law as everyone as else. As everyone else. That's right. That's right. And so when I look at the first three people who are injured, particularly the two that were killed. And I look particularly at, at, at Anthony House, and I realize how long it took everybody to pay attention to his death. That doesn't seem accidental to me. 
when one is choosing what 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 community to target, you know whether or not people are going to pay attention and how much attention people are going to pay and how long that allows you, how much time does that allow you to be able to regroup and plan again. Right. And so if you know that a population is vulnerable, if you know that the people don't really pay attention to that side of town, then that seems like a great side of town to start. Right. Uh, a place where you're less likely to get caught or, or interrupted. Exactly. Okay. Kristen Smith, professor of anthropology and African diaspora studies at University of Texas. Thank you very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Up next, we're going to turn to a potentially exciting development right here in Detroit. Our decaying monolith of a train station might get a new life with the Ford Motor Company. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.